Welcome to the Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons, helping you boost your health, energy, and productivity. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Thrive TV Show. I'm Lauren Parsons, your host, and today I'm joined by Emma Kate Woodham, who has an amazing story and who's going to share with us all about how to find joy despite chronic pain. So, welcome, Emma Kate. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me here. It's a real honor and a privilege. So thank you. Yeah, it's going to be great. And so what we're going to talk about today, I know it's going to touch a lot of hearts and you have an amazing story. Uh, we're going to be focusing in on coping strategies that enable self-acceptance, confidence and happiness and help you lead a fulfilled life, even if you are living with chronic health issues. So Thank you so much for sharing uh, your wisdom and your story with us. Before we dive into that story, I just have some this and that questions for you. Is that okay? Absolutely. Wonderful. So Emma Kate, would you rather be a famous musician or an actor? Musician. Musician. Okay, cool. Uh, introvert or extrovert? Um, used to be a real extrovert and as I'm getting older, a little bit more introvert. So sort of mm. changed it up a little bit. Nice. Okay. Leggings or jeans? Jeans. Jeans, okay. City or countryside? Country. Great. Meat or fish? Fish. Okay. Rome or Paris? Um, Paris. Okay, lovely. And a big one, important one here, boiled, fried or poached eggs? Oh, um, poached. Poached, oh, me too. Okay, nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, so interesting. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. So to tell you a bit more about Emma Kate, she's a wellness practitioner specializing in massage therapy and mindfulness. She's the founder of the Brain Garden Trust. She helps people to gain back their quality of life by achieving freedom from tension in body and mind. She's led by the heart and backed by mindfulness. And Emma Kate's story is one of determination, how she bet the odds. And I actually don't want to say too much more about her story, but I'm going to invite her to share it with us. So Emma Kate, can you just tell us a bit about your backstory and the story that you share? Yeah, I'll give you a little snippet. So I was born in 1974, um, a week before Christmas. And what's kind of important about then is everything was pretty new um, in the realms of surgery and what they could do. So I was born with a rare heart condition called trichoteriosis. And wow. I was given a 1% chance of survival. Wow. I ended up being flown to Greenland Hospital um, in early January, and they had to wait to be able to operate on me. I was operated on by Sabarit boys, and my parents spent six months living in Auckland with me. Um, wow. And it was pretty touch and go. They basically were told to take me home and just enjoy me. Wow. Um, so that was the short version of that little bit. There was obviously quite a yeah. heap. Um, and then when I was 10, I started to get really sick, was really tired, couldn't keep up with everybody else. So I was flying back to Green Lane and Sabat Boys came out of retirement to operate on me again. And wow. that operation we thought was successful, but in ICU, um, all the stitching around the heart ruptured and they had to rush me back into surgery. And apparently I flatlined and it was pretty tricky. Um, so they re-operated mm -hmm. and that was in 1985. 
Wow. Skin. I was taken home. They were told that I might have two years, just enjoy my childhood. So pretty much growing up, I was always sort of expecting that I wouldn't be here. Um, so that led to all sorts of anxiety and trauma, but I didn't realize that at the time I didn't have a label for it. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really talk about it then. I was very much praised for just getting on with it and being brave. And I learned how to just push everything down, kind of suck it down, put a smile on my face and just get on with it. Um, and that was a coping mechanism that worked for a really long time. Mm, wow. You imagine that. I mean, you think for those that are parents listening in, picture just obviously, I know that you've just given us like this super quick overview of the first few years of your life but man oh man for yourself for your parents you know they must have been on tender hooks not knowing that's and that's just so unique isn't it to have a childhood like that where you really don't know how much further there is going to be and then obviously you know spoiler alert you survived you're here now uh but just yeah amazing amazing backgrounds it really impacted my schooling everything and for me it is probably quite unique um, because heart children back then, especially what I have, didn't survive. I'm the only one that did out mm -hmm. of that era. There are now others, obviously, and I'm the oldest survivor in Australasia. There wow. are others um, in the UK that are slightly older than me, but no one doing as well as me. Um, and Good on you. I love the way that you share that. Good on you. That's so amazing. And I guess touching on what you said about my parents and being a parent, I'm also a parent to a heart child. Yes. Um, and I found out, I felt immensely guilty that I passed on this gene, knowing what it meant. Um, and I think one of my hardest moments ever was putting my son on the operating table and giving him a kiss, not knowing if I'd ever see him again or be able to hold him. So wow. that was really, really hard. Um, and that brought up a lot of memories, I think, that I had suppressed. Um, and I think that was the beginning of me um, starting this journey of helping others because I didn't want my child to suffer like I had mm -hmm. suffered. Even I had a really loving family, I'll make that really clear, but there are, you know, limits to that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And so just for people listening in to share what a heart child is, because I do have a very close friend of mine who has a heart child your daughter uh, but can you just share what that is just so everyone knows so a heart child can be a child um, that has born with a heart condition um, there are more children born with heart conditions than any other condition within New Zealand so it can be as simple in theory as a hole in your heart but that can also depending on where that's placed can be life-threatening and not mm. all heart babies need heart surgery. I, I did. My son has had two and he's waiting for a third. Mm. Um, so it's like any condition. There is a line or a spectrum, you know, as to how well you will be or what your ongoing care is or how that will affect your um, growing up, your living experiences, you know, all of those things. It's a bit of a continuum. There's no one size fits all. You can have children who have the same heart condition and one can appear to thrive mm -hmm. and one just doesn't thrive. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what are the best things that you have learned through your journey and as a mum of a heart child? 
I kind of was very much just get on with it and didn't realize. And then I stumbled on mindfulness and I was incredibly lucky to um, go through a course um, for 10 weeks with a psychologist. And I wasn't doing very well. I had three young children. I was very tired, couldn't keep up with them, um, needed more surgery. And so I started meditating. It was really that simple. And I started to feel better. I started to sleep better, have more energy, and just generally just felt like things were a little bit easier. Um, and I had some coping mechanisms. So I went to my cardiologist and said, I'd like to come off my heart meds because they have a whole lot of side effects. And you should have seen the look on his face. He was wow. not impressed. Um, yeah. I was determined. So we made a plan that I had to go and see my GP um, every six weeks to begin with, just to be monitored. And I have now been off my heart meds, I think for about six years. So wow. I'm on absolutely nothing. I had high blood pressure, all sorts of things. Um, and I've just learned through mindfulness and meditation just to pace myself. And it has really just been my saving grace. Mm. And for a little bit of a loop back, I went to Melbourne for part of my training and I met a psychologist called Rick Hansen. And I was mm. lucky enough to be on his course. And he was teaching neuroplasticity, which is about rewiring the brain. Yes. And he happened to be talking about childhood trauma and I happened to put my hand up and say that I could relate from stories that I remember my mother told me but also watching my son and that was a light bulb moment when I realized that I had anxiety and trauma but also had a story that perhaps I could share because I asked him why was I doing so well mentally compared to my peers other parents that had heart children were generally very anxious on antidepressants um, anybody else that I knew that had a heart condition like mine was heavily medicated um, for heart reasons and usually mm -hmm. medication which clearly has its place I'm not saying that yeah. they don't place meditation and medication can work very well together but I had managed to get to the age, I think it was 41 at the time, without ever having taken any antidepressants and I was no longer on heart meds. And we worked it out, I had resilience. But the key to my resilience is an early age, I learned self-compassion and mm -hmm. I learned how to be um, grateful for little things. Mm -hmm. I learned self-acceptance and I tended to be able to look on the brighter side instead of the negative side and we tend to be more grateful there is not room for the negative so that was the foundation for how I find joy and amongst living with the uncertainty of having a health condition that can flare up at any time and not only the side effects of having a heart condition, which is tiredness, dizziness, lack of energy. I also have chronic pain from scoliosis from when they put my ribs back together, they didn't put them back um, equally. So I continuously have back pain and nerve pain. So wow. the mindfulness has helped me just keep on an even keel, I think. Yeah, wow. Rabbit hole. Let me just back up a moment because I just feel like you've just shared so many golden nuggets just in this short space of time. So just to, to come back to you mentioned that the key thing for you that was identified that, you know, that's been helping you thrive really was your resilience and that the three keys to that. Let me see if I get this right. 
was self-compassion and just really finding joy or, or being grateful for the little things. And there was a third one. Remind me what that is. So the third one was self-acceptance. So it's, yes, I have a heart condition. Yes, I have a heart that doesn't work properly. Yes, I have a body that you could say is broken, but it's perfect for me. You know, it's kept me going. And also without my pain, I don't think I would be who I am. I wouldn't have the compassion for myself and for others. And I think it makes me a better massage therapist, a better yes. coach. I have an understanding. And I think sometimes it's nice to go to someone that isn't just textbook. They live it. I often get messages from other heart um, children and their parents saying that I give them hope that they can see that their child can have a fulfilling life despite mm -hmm. everything. So um, yeah. that always really um, touches my heart. So mm -hmm. so tell me a bit about the Brain Trust. Is, is that your medium for being able to share this story with other heart families? Yep. So I, my mum unfortunately passed away a year ago um, this okay. week. And well, oh, she... So sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, it's been really hard, but in some ways I feel really blessed. She was my advocate um, and it was, she was always there holding my hand when I was sick in bed. So it was a real honor to be able to do that for her. And yeah. when she was dying, her best friend, um, Julie and I came up with the idea for the brain garden. So it is a way to help children in New Zealand that have a chronic health condition. And because of that, they have anxiety and trauma. So we have developed a mindfulness program that helps not only the child, but the whole family um, wow. have coping strategies. And I'm really passionate about it because when I learned my mindfulness, I calmed down. And when I calmed mm. down um, coping strategies, the whole atmosphere in the house and my children just became so much nicer. Don't get me wrong, I've got three children, they still have their moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me teaching that and learning that really just had that flow on. So I believe in helping the whole family because in the moment, the system, it's really hard to get in to see a psychologist or counsellor and they will mm -hmm. just deal with that child. But actually it's the siblings who feel left out. It's the parents that are constantly anxious and worried about that child, financial difficulties, because quite often one can't work to be with a child. A lot of relationships either don't make it or mm. they just live together um, as flatmates. So wow. the idea is to try and get in as early as possible and help the whole family have coping strategies. And I've based it on the study I've done, but also what I have lived and learnt by helping myself and my son and my eight children. Mm -hmm. Wow, amazing. So tell me a bit more, just let's go a little bit deeper in terms of when you talked about self-compassion, self-acceptance, what are the steps? If people are just hearing these words and they perhaps don't really know what that means or how to move towards it, what would you suggest? Um, it can be really, really hard to even like ourselves. You know, most of us have this negative talk in our head that we're silly, we're dumb, we're stupid, we berate ourselves for 
anything that we perceive to be wrong say that we do this mm -hmm. interview and afterwards I would could possibly go through and pick out all the things that I could have done better right just mm -hmm. give me an example I'm not we, going to we, can, we can all do that right we can all do so that just yeah. give me an example so going back to self-compassion is really just treating yourself with love and kindness Mm -hmm. It's learning to, and this is really hard for especially women and mothers to put themselves first. I've actually mm -hmm. learned that I put myself first, not in an ego-based way, but I make sure I meet my needs because then I'm able to meet my children's needs. I'm not feeling frustrated. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not tired. So I started off with a really simple practice. I read a book called Good Morning, I Love You, and she's um, a psychologist in America. And it's basically every morning I wake up, I put my hand on my heart, and I say, mm -hmm. good morning, Emma Kate, I love you. And then oh. I can... That's beautiful. I want, but in the beginning, I all I could say was good morning, Emma, Kate, or then I got to good morning, I like you, and now a good morning, I love you rolls off, but I actually feel it. And mm -hmm. it's about just treating yourself like you would someone that you love really dearly or your best yeah. friend. Mm -hmm. When you do that, all that negative chatter just slowly disappears because you just don't have room for it. Mm, I love that analogy because that's what I think of as well that you know if you were to, to step outside of yourself and to look at yourself and treat yourself with the sort of love and compassion you would towards another human being that is not perfect that makes mistakes yet you would still you know if you think of someone that you really love hopefully people listening and have someone else that you really love in your life and you can picture could you regard yourself with that same love I really love that um, practical idea of that practice in the morning to get up and greet yourself and and remind yourself of that so yeah that's really encouraging thank you for that you know I just find it just sets your day up in the right way um and yeah I felt a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning mm -hmm. I'll be really honest good yeah um thank you for the honesty I appreciate that and I think that's good for people to know if, if they're trying this out yeah it does feel uncomfortable because it's something quite foreign. And the other misconception is that when you have self-compassion, it makes you have this huge big ego and you have no room to look after anybody else. But in fact, the opposite is true. The more mm -hmm. self-compassion you have, the more abundance you have and it just flows out of you and you actually have mm -hmm. compassion for others and not in a way that drains you. Yeah, I totally agree. And something that people that know me will, will probably know this analogy I often share that, you know, you absolutely need to fill your own cup up to overflowing so that you have more love and energy and passion to give out to everyone else around you. And I think the biggest challenge is that a lot of people feel like, oh, well, if I take time out for me to do that thing that helps me feel calm and centered and alive and fantastic and brings me joy, when I take time out for me, that I feel selfish doing that. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that undermines our ability to really take care of ourselves because we've got that tape playing in your head saying that oh taking time out for me that's selfish you know oh, I'll just go and do the washing or there's that other job I've got to do actually to flip that and to say well taking time out for me is essential and when I don't do it actually that's selfish because then what happens is when I don't take the time out for me I end up going around and living my life as the grumpy impatient less than best version of myself right and so so I'd say that to anyone listening in, that if you feel like, oh, I can relate to that, I don't always take time for me or put myself first. Actually, you don't want to put yourself first 100% of the time, all the time, being a narcissist, but actually choosing to put yourself first enough of the time that you feel 
balanced and you have that joy in your life, that's so critical, isn't it? So that then you can allow that to flow out to everyone else. And if you don't do it, that's actually selfish. And that might sound quite harsh and a bit of tough love from me to you if you're listening in. But I've had clients that have come back to me months and even years later saying that that one mindset flip is still in the back of their heads that they think, oh, shall I, you know, sit and have a cup of tea or shall I go and do the job, whatever it is. And they're like, no, I'm going to do it because taking time for me is essential. And if I don't, that's actually selfish. And I think mm. the consistency of doing so, because our brains will always hijack us into something else is more important. And yes. the same as wanting to meditate, you it can be really hard to get on that cushion. Not that you need to meditate on a cushion, but it's just a nice way of saying it. So I quite yeah. often say, I will just sit there for 30 seconds. And because once I've sat on that cushion, I am more likely to stay. It's sort of a brain hack to get myself to staying. Mm-hmm. And you can't meditate or you don't find it's your thing then play around with it make yourself a cup of tea and go and sit somewhere quietly and just savor that cup of tea but Mm. it's really just signaling to yourself that you are worth it and once we start giving ourselves those signals then the negativity tends to evaporate and we tend Mm. to have a little bit more joy and then a little bit more joy and don't get me wrong Mm. we still have moments but those moments when things aren't going quite so well don't last as long Yeah, absolutely. I think this is such a key message that we all need, you know, right now, because I think it sounds like some people may think of joy as being flippant or unnecessary. But actually, you know, when you think of New Zealand and the mental health crisis that we are facing, the stats show us that, you know, that for this amazing, beautiful country that we live in with so many freedoms, that we also have a lot of hopelessness. And, you know, when we look at the the rates around that and around the mental health challenges and and the outcomes from that so this is actually so essential for everyone for individuals for leaders for parents to be able to actually upregulate their joy through things like mindfulness through that self-acceptance self-compassion so I think these are really critical foundations and that often we don't actually pay enough attention to them so thank you for the work you're doing highlighting them Thank you. I think simplicity is the best inconsistency. I think we tend to overthink and think that we need to make major changes in our life to mm-hmm. be happy, to have that inner peace. We're really, it just comes down to really simple things. It could be just writing 10 things you're grateful for or a gratitude journal. And the research shows it's not actually writing the grateful or the gratitude in the journal. It's the lack or less negative thoughts that have the great impact. Because mm-hmm. when you're grateful, you do not have time for the negativity. So yeah, that's exactly. the key mm-hmm. is the less negative. It's, and also, if you have grateful moments, I will quite often be at the beach and just sit there and watch the waves and take in the sun on my back or wherever I'm feeling and really just take that moment and take as long as I can to embody that experience so when I'm feeling stressed or something I can take some deep breaths and visualize how I felt where did I feel it in my body where did I feel the sun did I feel light on my shoulders were they relaxed all of those the more sensations Mm -hmm. we can take in and store in those moments then we can use them to layer over the top of the negativity so the negativity doesn't have that impact and doesn't hang around. Mm. And you've got to remember as you're listening in that these words are being spoken by someone who is going through chronic pain. You know, so if, you know, for everyone listening, I think this is relevant for all of us, 
but whether you're facing chronic pain or whether you've just had some major challenge or something that you're grieving in your life and any circumstance we can come back to these things and I love that idea of focusing on how something feels physically because we know that when we're present physically in our body that we are more present so then our brain isn't you know going off into the past reliving things or worrying about the future so that I guess that comes back to that same practice of mindfulness and it and I like what you're saying as well about making it simple and accessible because I'm all about making things accessible for people that doesn't have to be like an hour or, or 40 minutes sitting on a cushion that you could be anywhere doing anything just paying extra attention and being more mindful in the way you drink your cup of tea and the way that you look at the sky as you walk into the building or all of those little moments that we can just upregulate that presence can't we yeah, and like I'm sitting here in my moment, my back's hurting. Not that anybody needs to know that, but I'm just going through my head of just, so I'm talking to you, just soften, just soften. So I try and soften my breathing, soften my posture so I'm not sitting up here like that. Quite often if we're told to relax, we tense more, so we just kind of soften. So, yeah, so just, I'm not saying that anybody needs to go, oh, she's in pain, and but I can't see. It's that I have learned just to soften with it and accept it instead of the resisting. Mm. And that's, I think where a lot of the gold lies is just learning. And as I said, I'm a neuro coach and somatic. So that's very much learning what is going in my body and when I can and not everybody can and not every time I can but I try and sit with it and figure out what I'm feeling in my body what are the emotions what are the sensations and working with that and really if I just sit with that and breathe I tend to come away feeling a lot lighter mm, amazing and you touched on it briefly before you know the neuroplasticity of the brain that if all of this is sounding quite new to you as you're listening in to remember that old habits of thinking old thought patterns they don't have to always stick around that you can actually train your brain to be more optimistic to be more grateful to be more resilient all of these things are possible and just like working a muscle in the gym you can work out these these techniques to help make these things a reality Emma Kay, I feel like we could just talk all day about this and I'm sure there is just this is like tip of the iceberg there's so much more underneath this but if people wanted to find out more how can they get in touch with you um, probably the best way is through my website, which is just www.emmakate.co.nz. If you want to know more about The Brain Garden, it is just www.thebraingardentrust.nz. Okay, fantastic. Okay, and so if you are not already watching this on the website, if you're just listening in, make sure you head over to thrivetvshow.com. So thrivetvshow.com has got all of the episodes and all of the info and the links in the show notes down below. So if you're not already watching, you'll be able to watch and listen to the interview again and just get all this gold once more. So thank you so much for your time. If I can just close by inviting you to share, if there's one more thing that you'd like to share with the listeners today, what would it be, McCage? I think really just slow down when you can, just slow down, pause, take some deep breaths and yeah, I don't think we just, we just don't need to be as busy as we think we do and just slowing down, actually we achieve more than if we're going fast. Mm, absolutely, I know that I need to receive that message as well and I think, you know, I think a lot of the challenges that we do face as a society are based on getting caught up in the rat race, somehow you know, getting caught up in what we see as normal expectations and that actually the way we're designed to live as human beings is quite different to what's become the modern rat race, isn't it? So 
just being able to slow down and be present and, and practice gratitude. It sounds so simple, and yet we know that the power of it is so profound. So thank you for all of your wisdom. And thank you to everyone for listening in today. That's been another episode of the Thrive TV Show. Go out and thrive. Thank you for listening to the Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons. Visit thrivetvshow.com to access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next inspiring episode.